I didn't do this in the first service. Hello, by the way, my name is Andy, uh, <coughs> one of the pastors here. But um, I just, as we were singing that last song, I just felt like it might be a good idea. Let's just take a moment, and I just want everybody to close your eyes and take a deep breath and just picture the face of our loving Father, whatever his face looks like to you. And know that the Father delights to love you and to know you and to be your dad. And I just want you to see his smile. Just take a moment to bask in the warmth of his love for you. And it's all because of Christ. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for being a good dad. And we love when you smile on us. Speak to us now through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will find in your Bibles Matthew chapter 7, we're going to conclude our series through the Sermon on the Mount. We spent about the last eight weeks or so going through the Sermon on the Mount. And while you're finding Matthew chapter 7, I just have a couple of announcements. Um, One is that we're entering into the summer season. It's here, there, everywhere. People are gone in town, on vacation, all that stuff. We have a lot of opportunities this summer for you to stay connected. So I would encourage you to go to our website, lakeviewfree.org, and there's a little uh, menu item called Connect. You can see what's coming up there. We have park meetups, uh, which, you know, play dates for the kids at local parks. We have Lake Ripley play dates where moms can take their kids to Lake Ripley. Um, and you can, they can swim, you can play on the beach and hang out with other moms. We have Bible studies that are going on this summer, men's studies, women's studies. And even if you didn't get in at the very beginning, I'm sure they don't care if you're a week or two late. That's totally fine. Uh, we have youth group events. We have all kinds of opportunities for you to connect with one another this summer. And so just go to our website, look at the calendar, look at what's coming up, and there are many opportunities to connect. Another thing that I want to point out is in the seat pocket near you is a card that says Connect Card. Um, If you're a guest with us today, we would love for you to fill that out. We're not going to spam your email or anything like that. It's just our way of knowing that you are here, you are a guest with us, and we can be praying for you. Whether you're a guest or not, on the back is a place for prayer requests. We pray for every prayer request that's submitted. And so we'd love for you to fill out a prayer request if you have one so that we can be praying for you. Um, A few things that are coming up this summer, we're hoping to have a baptism service in July. And so if you have not been baptized since you decided to follow Jesus, I would encourage you to consider that, to pray about that. If you're interested in learning more about that, sign up on this Connect card. At Lakeview Church, we don't do infant baptism we do what's called believer's baptism, which means once somebody has chosen for themselves to follow Christ, then we let them proclaim that through baptism. And so um, if you uh, need to get baptized, check that. Um, We also have, we don't do infant baptisms, but we do child dedications. And so we've got some of those coming up. Uh, If you have a child that you'd like to be, uh, that you'd like to dedicate to the Lord, uh, you can mark that on here. Just let us know. We'd be happy to get in touch with you about that. 
uh, this fall, gospel communities are starting. And so if you want more information about gospel communities and how to stay connected that way, you can sign up on the card. Just drop these cards in the offering box on your way out, um, and we will be in touch with you. I think that's all the announcements I have. Um, hopefully you found Matthew chapter 7. I'll give you a little more time by telling you this story. Um, last September, Corinne and I went on a pastor's retreat, and it was in uh, just north of Denver, Colorado, and I was super excited to go because I'd never seen the Rocky Mountains before. Um, and so we went a couple of days early, so we'd have a little extra time in the mountains. And as soon as we got there, we were so excited, uh, I was so excited, that we, we got in our car and we drove right to the mountains. We found a park and we were like, let's go hiking. And we were so excited to get up in the mountains, I didn't even bother to grab a, a trail map. I'm like, who needs a map? We'll just hike on the trail. Um, and so we're, we're hiking a couple hours up into the mountains and it starts getting dark because we traveled there. And so it was later in the day and I didn't have a map. And I didn't realize this, but sometimes in the Rocky Mountains, the trails aren't marked really well. I mean, the ground is really rocky. I guess that's why they call it the Rocky Mountains. And you couldn't always see where the trail was, and it wasn't super well marked, and it was starting to get dark, and there were no other hikers. And I'm imagining all these scenarios, like we're up in the mountains, it's at night, I'm like checking our water bottles to see how much water we have. Do we pack snacks? How long can we survive? And I was thinking, you know, I can, I can hear the headlines now, man bravely dies defending his wife from a bear, and, and <coughs> more likely knowing Corinne, woman kills mountain lion with her bare hands defending her husband. Uh, you know, I could just imagine all these worst case scenarios, and I said, we better start heading back down the mountain. And as we were coming back down, the trail wasn't always clear. It wasn't always, I wasn't always sure if we were on the trail or not because it didn't always look like the trail. Now, thankfully it was. We got back. We didn't see any mountain lions or bears or anything like that. Um, but the point is the same as the big idea for our passage today. Looks can be deceiving. So let's make sure we're on the kingdom way. We didn't always recognize that the trail was the trail. And Jesus has been uh, teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount. He's been leading us on a hike up the mountain of God to the summit, which is our Father in heaven. Uh, the, the peak of human existence is to live in a loving relationship with God as our Father. Jesus has been leading us up this trail. But as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount, he shows us that things aren't always what they seem. So let's double check our map. Let's make sure we're on the right path. Let's make sure we're headed in the right direction because looks can be deceiving. So let's make sure we're actually on the kingdom way. As we conclude this passage, Jesus gives us two kinds of paths, two kinds of prophets, and two kinds of foundations. Okay, and so let's just walk through the text. First of all, Jesus shows us that there are two kinds of paths. That comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Two kinds of paths, a narrow, hard path, or an easy, wide path. And there, when we read these verses, we make a couple of common misunderstandings. First of all, we assume that the word narrow means exclusive, right? Christianity is a narrow-minded, exclusive, judgmental religion. 
But that's not what the word narrow means. It doesn't mean exclusive. Because for something to be exclusive, that means that someone has to be excluded. If no one is excluded, then it's not exclusive. And the, the reality is, everyone, anyone who comes to Jesus is welcome. Anyone and everyone who comes to Jesus to give their life to him, to enter by the narrow gate into the kingdom of heaven, every single person is welcome. No one is excluded who comes to Christ. So Christianity is not exclusive at all because anybody, no matter how rich or poor they are, no matter how much education they have or they don't have, no matter what their skin color is, no matter what they've done in the past, no matter what uh, struggles and challenges they currently have, no matter what's been done to them in the past, nobody who comes to Christ is excluded. And for something to be exclusive, people have to be excluded. But Christianity, Jesus welcomes everyone who would come and give their life to him. And he says, all may enter by that narrow gate. So the word narrow doesn't mean exclusive. That's not what it means. Another uh, misunderstanding we make in this passage is that we assume easy means loose living and hard means strict obedience of the rules. So the broad, easy way, that's living the party life, drinking, doing drugs, sleeping around, living it up, right? That's the easy, broad way, and lots of people are on that path to destruction. And the narrow, hard way, that's, oh, I've got to follow all the rules, and I've got to be a really good person, and I can't have any fun, and Christians are boring, right? But that's not at all what Jesus is talking about. In fact, Throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been teaching us over and over and over again that there's a greater righteousness than keeping all the rules, right? It's not about keeping all the rules. Now, does God care what we do? Absolutely, he does. But he cares a lot more about who we are because when our hearts are changed, our actions also change. So Jesus isn't teaching here that you have to be a boring rule follower in order to climb to the summit. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, if we're really honest with ourselves, it's a whole lot easier for me to change my behavior or modify my behavior than it is for me to change my heart. The broad, easy way is just, hey, why don't you do a little, a few religious things, make yourself look like a Christian, try hard not to cuss in front of your Christian friends, and everybody will think you're good, and then you'll make it. That's the broad, easy way. The hard way, the narrow way, is to be changed in your heart. It's, a, it's heart transformation. And heart transformation is hard because heart transformation requires living a life that is surrendered to Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't like the idea of being surrendered to Christ, of surrendering my life, transferring my ownership. I no longer have a right to my own life. My life now belongs to Jesus. Whatever he says, I do. Whatever he set commands, his wish is my command, right? So that's the harder path. That's the more difficult. It's a whole lot easier to say, well, I'll, I'll go to church 1.7 times a month, throw some money in the offering box, volunteer on occasion, sign up on that connect card, look really good. That's the easy, broad path. But Jesus says that's not the path to the summit. That's not the path to intimacy with the Father. The hard path is a life that is surrendered to Christ. Which path are you on? Because the path makes all the difference. One of my favorite poems has always been The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. It reads this, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, 
and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood. And I looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as, f as far as the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Most people don't take the path of heart transformation. Most people say, I, I will be a good Christian on the outside, but I'm still going to live for myself on the inside. I'm still going to be self-centered. I'm still going to be selfish. I'm still going to retain ownership of my life. My heart might be filled with anger and hatred and lust and all these things, but on the outside, I look really good. That's the path most people take. Less people take the road less traveled, which is the path of a life surrendered to Christ. Two paths. Which path are you on? The next point Jesus makes is that there are two kinds of prophets. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. He's talking about two kinds of prophets. Who are you following? And I, I love the way the Message Bible paraphrases this. It says, don't be impressed by charisma. Look for character. There are all kinds of people in the world and in the church, and just because someone looks religious doesn't mean they're actually living the kingdom life. Just because they look like a Christian on the outside doesn't mean they're a Christian on the inside. And throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, what we see is that Bible knowledge, Christian service, and spiritual gifts are not evidence of spiritual health or spiritual maturity or even saving faith. Some of the people that have the most biblical knowledge and, the most, and are the most gifted may not even be saved. They might be clean on the outside, but not devoted to Christ on the inside. Spiritual giftedness is not a sign of spiritual maturity. What is a sign of spiritual maturity? It is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, so the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. If you want to know whether somebody is actually walking with Jesus, don't look at how many Bible verses they have memorized. Don't look at all the theology that they know. Don't look at all the things that they do to make themselves look like a Christian. How many times they're at church volunteering. If you want to know whether somebody is actually following Jesus, look at their character. Does their character reflect Christ? Because not everyone who looks religious is a Christian. Jesus goes on to talk about these false prophets and what happens when they stand before the Lord on Judgment Day. 
Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. These prophets are going to come and stand before the throne of judgment and they'll say, oh Lord, Lord, look at us. And Jesus says, no, no, not everyone who says that, who claims to be a Christian, is actually a Christian. Only the ones who do the will of my Father. So does that mean it's performance oriented? Well, you have to do all these things? No. What is doing the will of the Father? Well, doing the will of the Father doesn't mean do more religious stuff. Go to church more. Do these things more. That's not what it means. Doing the will of the Father means surrendering your life to Christ. How do we know that doing the will of the Father doesn't mean doing more stuff? Because in verse 22, Jesus says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all this religious stuff? Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? But Jesus says, no, that's not the will of my Father. Is it bad to do those things? No. But the will of the Father is to get, surrender your life to Christ. Dean Isera is the author of a book called The Unsaved Christian. Interesting book, The Unsaved Christian. And he says if Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount today, in this list of religious activities, he might include things like this. Didn't we say grace before dinner? Didn't we vote our values? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we believe in God? Didn't we give money in the offering? Didn't we have Bible apps on our phones? Didn't we get confirmed? Didn't we go to Bible study? Didn't we post verses on our Instagram pages? Didn't we do that stuff? But what does Jesus say to the false prophets? Verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, you never knew me. He says, I never knew you. That's interesting. What is he talking about? Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is like climbing the mountain with Jesus to the, the peak, which is intimacy with God the Father, a relationship with God the Father, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. And what Jesus is saying is, for all the religious activity that you had, I never saw you at the summit. I never saw you at the peak in, a, in an intimate, loving relationship with God as your father. I never saw you there. I didn't know you. You weren't there. You had all this religious activity. You looked really good on the outside, but I never saw you in a relationship with the father. You didn't make it. You were going on the wrong path. See, the reality is that we live the kingdom life together. The Sermon on the Mount is not an individualistic sermon. It applies individually to all of us, but it is something that we do together. We walk together up the path to the summit. The question that Jesus is asking us here is, who are you following as you hike the mountain? Because not everyone who looks religious actually is a Christian. Not everyone who looks like a Christian is living the kingdom life. Who are you following? And parents, who are your kids following? Who are you allowing to influence your kids? Because if you're not leading them up the mountain to God, somebody else is going to lead them up some other mountain. I, I have a lot of parents that have told me things like this. Oh, I don't want to force my faith onto my children. I just want them to decide for themselves. 
Listen, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell from someone else who wants to lead them on a different mountain. They, he doesn't want you to lead them up the mountain of Christ because he wants to lead them up a different mountain. So it's, oh, why don't you just let them decide for themselves? Meanwhile, I'm going to fill their minds with all kinds of garbage and lies because you're not speaking truth, right? So parents, we can't abdicate our responsibility to be the, the guides for our kids and lead them up the mountain. Who are we following? Who are our kids following? There are two kinds of prophets in the world. And if you look at somebody's life, you can say, is that person like somebody I want to become? Right? If I want to be a better husband, I don't need to look at men in their 40s who've been married 15 or 16 years, like me. I need to look at men like Tom Glass, who just celebrated his 50th wedding anniversary. I need to say, what is he doing because I want to be a husband like him, right? I want to be, that's what we need to do. So two kinds of paths, which path are you on? Two kinds of prophets, who are you following? And the last thing that Jesus says is there are two kinds of foundations. Two kinds of foundations. Verse 24, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I'm not even going to explain this I'm just going to read it in the message paraphrase because the message Bible is so convicting in the way they translate this. Here's what the message says. Jesus is, is teaching this. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. Now I'm going to go back and read that sentence again because that's probably the most convicting sentence I will say all morning and I didn't even write it. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. A lot of people add on to their houses if they live there long enough. Right? I'm adding on a room in our basement to make room for our growing family, right? So a lot of people add on, and when, when, when somebody builds a house or adds on to a house or gets a new house or a new place and they move in, a lot of times they organize their house by what they're going to use each room for. This is our family room. This is our bedroom. This is our kitchen. This is the bathroom, right? And then they'll maybe add on a Four Seasons room or, or whatever, and it looks real nice. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people, even Christians, will approach their faith 
kind of like that. So I have, I have my, my, um, my life is, is my house, and I have my workroom, you know, uh, my, my tool shop or my home office or whatever it might be, and we have our family room, right? And, and then I have my man cave with my deer heads hanging on the wall or, or my uh, scrapbooking room or my wood shop or, or whatever your hobbies might be. So I have my hobbies room and I have my work room and I have my family room. And then, oh wait, uh, I say the sinner's prayer and now I build on a Jesus room to my house. Isn't that nice? I could go into the Jesus room when I need something. And then I could go back into the rest of my life and shut the door on Jesus. Right, And so, uh, you know, I, I need a promotion at work because uh, next summer I want to take my family on a big vacation. I could use a little extra money. Go into the Jesus room. Hey, Jesus, can you help me get that promotion? Then I go back out and close the door and go live the rest of my life. Right? Oh, my, my aunt got diagnosed with cancer. I'll go into the Jesus room, ask Jesus for help with my aunt's cancer, and then I'll go back in, close the door, and go back on the rest of my life. My kids get a little older. They're teenagers. Teenagers are kind of a headache sometimes. No offense, teenagers. Um, but I, I better go in the Jesus room. Oh, look, it's kind of dusty. I haven't been in here for a while uh, and ask Jesus for help. Listen, Jesus isn't an add-on to your life. He doesn't increase your life equity or your standard of living. Jesus is the house. He's the foundation. Everything else has to be built on Christ. My workroom fits into or is built on my relationship with Jesus. My family room is built onto my relationship with Jesus. My marriage room, which by the way is the bedroom, that's a different uh, sermon. My marriage room is built onto the foundation of Jesus, right? Everything has to be built on Jesus. If it's not, there's no value in it. There's no point in it. Jesus isn't a sunroom on my house. And if he is, my life really isn't devoted to Christ because I'm building my life on some other foundation, something else. And when the storms of life come, my life will collapse like a house of cards because it hasn't been built on the foundation of Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. You can have a nice, pretty life that looks really great, and looks all spiritual and Christian on the outside, but if Jesus is just the back porch, it's not going to stick. It's not going to work. Now, two paths, which path are you on? Two prophets, who are you following? Two foundations on what are you building your life? And then you might say, how do we know? I think I'm building my life on Christ, but is there a way I can tell? In verse 22, there's a really good assessment These false prophets are standing before the Lord on judgment day. And Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not fill in the blank? Dean Asera in his book, The Unsaved Christian, says, notice that these false prophets said, didn't we, when they should have said, didn't he? Didn't we do all this religious stuff instead of, didn't he, didn't Jesus change our lives? So I want you to just pause for a minute. Imagine that today is judgment day and you're standing before the throne of judgment and God says, why should you enter into the kingdom of heaven? What is your initial answer? If your initial answer is, didn't I say the sinner's prayer? Didn't I go to church? Didn't I take my kids to, to Sunday school? I Didn't I go to youth group? Didn't didn't I go on a mission trip? Didn't I put money in the offering box? Didn't I take the membership class? 
Didn't I go to a Bible study? Didn't I teach a Bible study? Didn't I do these things? If that's your answer, all those things are great things. But if you're trusting in those things, then you've missed the point. If your answer is, didn't Jesus die on the cross for me? Didn't Jesus take my place because I'm a sinner? And didn't, he, didn't his blood wash me clean of all my sin? Didn't Jesus take my sin and give me his righteousness in exchange, credited to my account? Didn't Jesus put his Holy Spirit in me and transform my heart? Didn't Jesus do that stuff for me? If that's your answer, then you're on the right track, even if it doesn't feel like it. Didn't we or didn't he? If we're trusting in all the the religious things that we've done, we're not really aiming at the right mark. There are two paths. Which path are you walking? Two prophets, who are you following? And two foundations on what are you building your life? On your own resume or on his? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son to do what we could not do to live the perfect life that none of us could live and to die the death that we all deserve to die, to be the substitute for us, to take our sin and give us his righteousness in exchange, to take our death and give us his life to take our place in the grave so that we could have his place in your house. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ to do all of that for us and then for putting your Holy Spirit in us when we surrender our lives to you. And my hope and prayer this morning, Lord, is that every person in this room would surrender their heart to you, would relinquish ownership of their life and give it to you so that you can give it back for eternity. Lord, I don't know if there are people in this room this morning who maybe have played the Christian game for years or maybe they haven't, uh, but people that haven't chosen to surrender and to transfer ownership of their life over to you. But if there are people like that here today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them, would draw them, that your love would overflow and attract them to your heart. That they would simply confess, no, I've still been owning my own life instead of giving it to you. That they would surrender their life to you and receive you as their Lord and Savior and be filled with your Holy Spirit. And if the rest of us who have made that decision, God, sometimes I confess that my eyes get off the path and I start leaning on my own accomplishments instead of yours. And I know there are other people that do the same. So Lord, would you convict us? Would you just show us gently through the love of the Holy Spirit where our eyes are off the path, where our feet have wandered so that we can come back to you and build our lives 
holy on you. Lord Jesus, be the foundation, the solid rock on which we stand. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name.